that today's, um, today's text is a really interesting one. And I misspoke a few weeks ago when I said that it, it was Matthew's gospel who had, we, where we went right from, or it was Matthew's gospel that had this one story of Jesus as a child. And then in Luke's gospel, we went right from the birth narratives into uh, John the Baptist. Um, actually, it's Luke's gospel that has this one story. This is the only story we have of Jesus as a child in between being born and um, as an adult around 30 some years old when he comes to be baptized by John and starts his ministry. So even though we are in uh, the, the Christmas season and I hope you are, uh, you all had an amazing Christmas and those of you who are home enjoying the snow, it probably feels like Christmas has been extended and, and that's wonderful. And it has been, because as I mentioned in the church, we, we celebrate Christmas for 12 days. So we get all the time leading up to it, and then we get 12 days to celebrate. And this text is actually the lectionary text for this time. Again, because it's the one time when we really pause and say, what happened between Jesus' ministry and Jesus' birth? Now, there is a lot of speculation about... There's a lot of speculation about Jesus as a child. He, uh, there are some apocryphal, some other works that were written. They were never included in the scriptures because they were not considered trustworthy. And they have some fanciful, fanciful stories of things like Jesus um, taking a clay bird and, and making it come to life. But what's really interesting is that we actually have nothing outside of this. We don't have any records that are credible of Jesus performing any miracles as a child. We don't have um, anything. So we just have to... Okay, so for those of you listening online, you probably figured out uh, we're once again having some microphone problems. So I'm going to speak into this one. So as I was mentioning, we don't have... Um, a, a whole lot, and so we have to speculate and imagine what it would have been like. And it's interesting to think about. We know Jesus was perfect, morally perfect. In other words, he, he didn't sin. And so what's that like for Mary and Joseph to raise a child like that? Did he make every shot when he was playing basketball? Okay, I know they probably didn't have basketball, but whatever sport they had. Uh, no, because he was fully human. So he's a fully human child. He cries, he has diapers, he has needs, just as any human being would. Um, so if he was playing a sport, he would have been the same as any other child. Did he disobey his parents? Well, no, he didn't. Not if uh, we believe he was without sin. And so that's really interesting to think about, what that would be like to have a child who is never disobedient. But did he make mistakes? In other words, did he spill his milk at the dinner table? Did he ever hurt anyone's feelings? Well, probably. Those things aren't sins. Those things are human. So it's, it, Jesus is, that's the part of the, the wrapping up of Jesus being fully human and fully divine that gets a little bit confusing. But I think it's worth noting that when Jesus did start his ministry, his hometown, they were surprised. They said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't Joseph and Mary, his parents, don't we know him? So there was probably nothing especially remarkable to most people about Jesus as a child. And that's why this passage is a treasure. 
because it's the only one we have of those lost years. And what I think is fascinating about this is we get a look at it a little bit from Joseph and Mary's perspective. If Jesus had been doing a lot of miracles and was doing those kinds of things as a child, again, we would expect to have some kind of records of those. <clears throat> so what do we learn about this one story? Well, it is interesting that Joseph and Mary are both still alive. Now, we know Mary was alive when Jesus was crucified, but Joseph sort of disappears out of the picture. And so we think that Joseph probably died sometime during Jesus' childhood. We don't know that for sure. Again, we don't have any records. We just know he's never mentioned as Jesus um, enters his ministry as an adult. So, but at this point, uh, at least as a, you know, what we would say an elementary age child, maybe middle school, he's, uh, Joseph is still alive. We also know from this text that Jesus had a large family. So that he was raised with a bunch of cousins and aunts and uncles and um, probably, well, we know he had brothers and sisters too, whether they were from Mary or not. He had brothers and sisters. And we know, we get this really interesting um, comment that says every single year they would make the trek to Jerusalem for the Passover. So this was like their family holiday. <clears throat> it would be a big trip, a big excursion with everybody going, probably something they really looked forward to. We also learn from this text <clears throat> that his parents did actually get upset with him as parents. And I, I just think this is amazing. Is it significant, though? Is it important? I mean, I got to say, as a parent, I think it is. Because I've always thought, well, if I had perfect children, I could be a perfect parent. But that doesn't appear to be the case with Joseph and Mary. It's somewhat strange, but I guess encouraging to think that even Jesus' parents struggled at times with parenting. That should encourage every parent, because parenting is not easy, and we're going to make mistakes. We're not going to always know the right thing to do. But we also learn from this text that Jesus was obedient. Did you notice that it specifically said that? That Jesus went back with them, and he was obedient to him, to them. And so when we say that Jesus didn't perform any miracles as a child, well, that's one miracle we know that Jesus performed. He was obedient to his parents, and his parents were imperfect. And that has to be a miracle, I think. So what else we learn about this 12-year-old Jesus? What was he like? Well, he could actually hold his own in a discussion with the most trained religious teachers of his time, with the rabbis in, the, in Jerusalem. Even at 12 years old, they were amazed, it said, by his understanding. But also notice that Jesus, in his conversation with them, that he is, he is listening and asking them questions. So this is, again, just a little bit of an insight of what it means to be human. Jesus was growing. Jesus was learning. The Son of God was asking questions and actually listening to other people. When we talk about Jesus as human, part of what we talk about is his humility. Humility. And we can, with that word, we can say, well, um, humility can be like you're humbled and embarrassed, but humility can also be like, well, I deserve something, but I'm setting that aside for others. And what we're learning here is that Jesus was humble. Even if he knew the answer, he was at least willing to listen, and he was willing to engage in questions. We know as an adult, he also taught a lot by asking questions 
not always just by giving advice. And Jesus had to grow. He had to mature, just like us. And as I mentioned, we learned that he frustrated his parents. I mean, I hear this story, and I go, okay, they're with a large family group. I know I can't fully understand this. This is before cell phones and all that. It's a lot harder to stay connected. I understand all of that. But how do his parents leave Jerusalem and travel for a few days not realizing that Jesus wasn't with them? And part of it, again, is because we know that raising a child would have been different, probably a lot different during this time. It would have been much more communal, much more done by extended family. And so probably for Jesus' parents, they thought nothing of it. Oh, he's probably with his cousins, probably sleeping with his aunts and uncles or his grandparents or whatever. We don't know. But Jesus, it took them a while to figure this out. And so as a parent, I think, couldn't they expect Jesus to just stick with them and not stay in Jerusalem? I mean, there is some, as a parent, I go, there's some blame to be laid here. Okay, this may not be a sin, but this is a child not doing exactly what I would expect of a child as a parent. Couldn't he have been expected to come with them? And then I think about Joseph and Mary realizing that now they've got to travel multiple days to to get back and find him and look for him and so for three days they're they're looking for jesus and they they can't find him in the agony of that as a parent to have a child lost for three days i know he's 12 so he's not you know completely helpless but he's certainly not an adult and i imagine the sleepless nights and the tears, and the agonizing. And so I am grateful for this text in part because when they find him, they say something similar that I would have said, which is, child, why have you treated us like this? That's what it says in the scriptures. Child, why have you treated us like this? This is often the case with children. I think Jesus probably really didn't, think of them at all as parents. He was absorbed. He was captivated by being in the big city, being at the festival, having these discussions. I don't know where he was in the evenings at night. I don't have any idea. He probably had just lost track of them and had no idea where they were or how to find them. And so he's, as a child, probably not even really thinking of them too much. And he responds with, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know it would be necessary for me to be in my father's house? So there's something in his mind, both as a child and as his growing awareness of who he is as a son of God, that says, well, I'm just going to stay in my father's house because they'll come looking for me there. And so he's like, why were you worried? Didn't you know I would be right here? This is the place I would be? It's a mix of sort of childlike innocence and a little bit of confusion. It's a mix of the, the human and the divine. Jesus at this time is he's moving into what we call adolescence and this is the stage that every person goes through every child moves through and part of it is identity formation and asking the question who am I who am I my little bit of wisdom from my youth ministry time is uh, is just realizing that as parents we can choose to fight that process of identity formation of them asking who am I in figuring it out and experimenting with it, we can either choose to fight it or we can encourage it. We can slow it down or we can help it speed up because it's a difficult process. 
you speed it up as a parent by increasingly giving more and more responsibility and letting your children deal with natural consequences. You can slow down that identity formation, on the other hand, by being a helicopter parent, by controlling everything, by preventing anything bad from happening to them, by enabling them. So that's just a little bit of wisdom that I have from my time in doing youth ministry. Jesus is beginning to understand who his true father is. Now, of course, this is unique to Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the only one who is the son of God. But actually, this happens to all of us as Christians. All of us as Christians at some point realize that if the scriptures are true, if we believe what we say we do, then God is our father, our true father, our true parent. And our earthly parents are only stewards of us. They have been given care for us for a time, but God is our father. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the scriptures say we are now adopted sons and daughters. And that Jesus is even in the language of, I believe it's Hebrews or James, it calls Jesus our elder brother, which has always made me squirm just a little bit. That It's almost too close for me, but that's how the scriptures describe it. We're adopted children into the family, and he's our elder brother. And that's one of the reasons why the Christmas story of Jesus' birth pulls so much at our heartstrings. The Christmas story draws us in because actually it's our birth story as well. It's the story of our family. It's not just an ancient myth. It's not just a feel-good Christmas movie. It's part of our story. The miracle of being born into God's family. And the story is still being written. That's what's so cool about it. So we could ask the question, and I have asked myself this question, of all the stories, potentially, of Jesus as a child, why this one? Why is this one saved? It doesn't, at least at face value to me, it doesn't seem like there's anything spectacular or super special about it. It seems somewhat like an ordinary story, other than Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, and maybe someone wanted to embarrass them, but that doesn't seem to be the point. I think, I think it's in here because it highlights the humility of Jesus. This is a hallmark of who Jesus is from the beginning of his story to the end of his story, to the humble death on a cross, to the family he was born into. The Christmas story highlights that with no room for him in the inn, or no room in the guest house, depending on your translation, to a, to a poor working class family, right? And then all through Jesus' life, he lives in humility. And in this story, we see Jesus both being humble in the way he's listening and discussing with the religious leaders, but also we see Jesus being humble in the, his willingness to be obedient to his parents, to return home with them and obey them. Jesus will later very pointedly tell all of his disciples that none of them Oh, by the way, none of them were the star students. We know that. They were all uh, rabbinical dropouts if they were ever part of a, ra a rabbi's system because by the age Jesus called his disciples, all the good ones were already taken and the others were just left for the working class. And that's where Jesus chooses his disciples from. So none of them were the star students. None of them were famous. None of them were wealthy or powerful. 
And then he tells them all pointedly that they must follow his model of humility. After he washes his, their feet, he says, I've done this for you. I'm your Lord and master. And you need to do this for others. The greatest among you, he tells them, will not be like the Gentiles. They won't lord it over people. They will be the servant. Do you see this humility being worked out in your life? Are you willing? Are you willing to submit to authority even when you don't want to? Or are you demanding of your rights? Are you willing to listen and to learn and to ask questions? Or do you believe that you already know the full and complete story, that you already have your theology and doctrines all figured out and perfect and right, and that you're already perfectly in line with God's will? Are you willing to be seen as unimportant by other people? Or do you feel the need to defend and justify yourself and to, to elevate yourself above others? Do you see the humility of Jesus being worked out in your life? The good news is that every single day offers us a new opportunity to live in the humility of Christ. Every day offers us a chance to repent of our sinfulness, repent of our stubbornness. Every day, the Holy Spirit is ready and willing to form us more into the likeness of our true Father, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, humility does not come naturally to many of us. We can see that stubborn streak in ourselves, the desire to be right, the desire to be elevated, to be seen as important, can see the temptation to want to push others down so that we might seem better. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we have acted this way. May we follow your model. Being in the very likeness of God, you were willing to submit to your parents. You were willing to have dialogue and listen to others. You were willing to give up your life, even though you had the power to hold it. And you've called us to be a part of that family. Help us to walk in your footsteps and to live in that humility from day to day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.